Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal! Welcome to Metal Gear Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 158. We are going to dive into the classic albums episode of Metallica and the Black Album. Now, I've seen this before many times. I don't own the DVD, but I have seen it. I've seen a lot of these classic albums. They're, it's a great series. It's a really great series. That it, it's. Uh, I didn't know that it was uh, actually produced in the UK. Oh, I didn't it's know It's a UK either. documentary series. How about that? And this is an interesting thing. The reason that we're, we're tackling this at this point in the podcast is because it came out in 2001, mm-hmm. which was what we covered in our last episode. It was recorded at the end of 2000. And apparently during the filming of this series is when things came to a head with Jason and yeah. James regarding Echo Brain. Yeah. So I'm curious to see it again, knowing that, to see if there's any tension. Did see any of that? Most of it is James and Lars sitting at a console with Bob Rock, right. pulling up stuff and but uh, but we're going to watch it together and and have a good time yeah. and celebrate the Black Album. Yeah, and and, and th- again, this series is really really something fun to watch if if you're into certain bands, even if you don't like a certain artist or maybe haven't gotten into them. It's a great in depth look at a certain record, you know, of course, a classic album, and they sit down and dissect it, and it's just a great. We'll, we'll read more about it. Would you say bit, that it's a neat series to watch? I'd say it's a neat series to that watch. You can have fun always watching it. Yeah, I mean, I would put this series on a T shirt. <laughs> okay, before we dive into that, we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping. Go leave us a positive review on iTunes. It's real easy. Just clickety-clack your way over there. Uh, we have the Patreon. You're going to hear all about that later. Nothing really to say about that. Other than that, we got a new patron this week That's named right. Chase Thompson. Chase Thompson. Trying to give it up to Chase. All right. You guys make the show go. Flow. And, and we're poets now, so... We'll see you on our, our new poetry podcast that we're starting. Well, it's just called The Poetry Corner. <laughs> uh, the socials, go follow us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, YouTube. We have MetalUpYourPodcast.com. The cover, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Let's just, let's just move on. <laughs> we know all this stuff. Ethan's got another cool podcast called The Pirate Satellite, in which you can hear him interview people like Matthew Mayfield, me, Paul Moak, yeah. other artists and creative type people. It's really Sean McConnell. Sean McConnell's on Did you ever get the Need to Breathe guys on there? No, no, no. But okay. I am going um, I'm, I'm to kind of revamp it up this year once I start touring again, which, by the way, I'll be back on the road with Kings of Leon. Um, do a little Tekken. Uh, yeah, getting, getting the old job back, which yeah, is going to be fun. That's great. Um, unfortunately for us, there'll be a lot of remote episodes at some point. Again, yeah, that's like fine. we used to. But, uh, that's fine. But uh, I'm hoping to uh, kind of do the podcast on the road when I'm traveling. Uh, Certain cities where I know people have them on the show, kind of get it going again. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been on a little bit of a hiatus. Well, it's called the Pirate Satellite, and you can Google it or search for it wherever you get podcasts. It's not yeah. hard. There was a guy on Twitter this week that got upset at me because I had to teach him how to use Google, and that made me the jerk. I mean, I saw the thread. It didn't seem 
I, I, I didn't think you came across as a jerk. I, it, all, it all seemed yeah. very fun at first. I was kind of being a jerk, but not in a, any sort of meaningful way. Sure. I mean, if you ask me how to Google something, it's real hard not to thumb you a little bit on that because it's 2020 and it's one of the most ubiquitous ways to find out information. Right. What's Google, by the way? Exactly. Well, try Googling Google first, and then Shoot. that's going to how you find Google. Damn it. Hard uh, of time finding your house. The uh, the other podcast that I do is called I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay, with my friend Bob Schneider, famous Texas, Austin, Texas singer-songwriter, who I toured with for years. Lots of good sauce over there. If you like the Clinton Ethan flavor, there's other places you can get it. And also, if you go to metalupyourpodcast.com, uh, you can find all the other episodes that Ethan and I have been guests on Correct, where we yeah. talk about our careers in music and we talk about Metal Every Podcast and all sorts of stuff. We're over on Tom Quay's, Tom Quay's podcast talking about Metallica songs. And if, uh, I was a guest on Metallicast, or not Metallicast, Metallicast. Metallicast. Brandon over on Metallicast yeah. talking about Injustice for All. He did a really cool series, I think it was last year, uh, where he did a summer series on a song a week on Injustice for All. Yeah. And I did the episode on To Live Is To Die. Awesome. To live is to die. To live is to die. That's the wherever I may roam guy. <laughs> it's kind of like how when you die, you live on. Remember that? Yeah, from the uh, the Black Album release. I'm the wherever I may roam guy. What's he doing these days? Yeah, well, well, he's still philosophizing about how when you die, you don't die. You you don't quit going on and you roam. You're a nomad and a wanderer and a rover and a vagabond. <laughs> Oh, what a good part. That that little clip from that dude from that album release night yeah. is just gold. Like when you die and you... It's like when, <laughs> wherever I may roam. <laughs> it's kind of like a Bay Area punk Cosby. Yeah. Oh, you put the pudding. Oh, and a little bit of mustains in there, too. Yeah. Well, I think it's like kind of when you put the pudding and the, <laughs> the pudding and the jello. Dude, did you see the Megadeth tour announcement, by the way? No. It's like oh, yeah. Them in, in Flames and Lamb of God. Yeah, I did see that. It's a good lineup. I don't know those other bands. Uh, I hardly know Megadeth. Lamb, Lamb of God's awesome. In Flames is rad, too. Okay. But I don't know. I, I, again, I'm not like the deepest of, of metal fans. But I do like those bands, so I'm gonna try to get it, get to a date. I want to go see Rage Against the Machine. I'll tell Fuck you that. Yes, <laughs> I mean, hell yes. That's gonna be so sick, dude. I mean, when they first announced a couple festivals and stuff, I'm like, I knew it was coming. I hope they do a tour. And then just out of nowhere on Twitter, it was just like, oh my god. Not only a tour, but uh, also a, uh, an album, dude. <sighs> did you ever get to see them live? No, I did not. Okay, so I saw them twice in uh, I think it was '96, '95 uh, and '96. I saw the Evil Empire album release show. That would have been 96. That's right. And dude, I mean, to, the, to this day, hands down, one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. The energy, you can't, I mean, I can't compare it to any other show I've ever been to. Well, hopefully we can take the power back and That's right. see Rage Against the Machine. I would, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to listen to my podcast with Bob, just look up Clint Wells or Bob Schneider in the search things, because unfortunately, searching for I'm okay, you're okay, I'm not okay, you're not okay is proven pretty difficult <laughs> right and we read a few emails we get a whole bunch a week but we read a few before we dive into the proper episode and we're going to do that now on a trip through what we like to call the email portal all right our first email is from monty pearson uh who's also met concerts 100 on youtube on the last episode, you guys uh, said that Fuel for File was the demo recorded by Lars and James in the garage, but that's not true. The demo can be found on the CD from uh, the FanCan 3. Fuel for Fire is how the original recording sounded up to Load's release. Okay. 
Uh, the drum track, guitar solo, backing vocals are the same takes used on the final release. Most of the, uh, the songs from Reload were in that sort of state when Load was released since all the drums from both of the albums were recorded at the same sessions, uh, including Low Man's Lyric. However, after the Load tour, the guys weren't feeling the guitar tones on the Reload songs, so they re-recorded all the rhythm guitar parts. James obviously rewrote a lot of lyrics and for uh, some of the tracks before uh, re-recording them. Fuel for, Fu- Fuel for Fire uh, is the version of the song they play on Cunning Stunts and a lot of other shows from that tour. I'm sure they'll bring out a Load Reload box set so we might get to hear some of the old old Load versions of the tracks on uh, Reload. Uh, always, uh, sorry, anyways, love the pod. Okay, we're, bre- we're doing some abreaves. Uh, from Monty Pearson. Um, okay, thanks for the clarification. I think we kind of figured that out as we were listening. We were like, oh, that does sound like Kirk Solo. And so what he's saying is it's not really a demo. They recorded it at the plant. Yeah, which is kind of the almost they, finished version. And it's the drums and the guitar solo and the bass. And then they went back and redid the guitars and vocals. Yeah. So that's cool. Thanks for the clarification. Well, and we're glad they redid the vocals because some of those lyrics were a little... Pretty rough. Uh, yeah, pretty rough. Rough sauce. And the guitars do sound better, the finished product. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Thanks, Monty Pearson. Go check out Met Concerts 100 on YouTube. A lot of cool Metallica content. Yeah. Next up, Mike Thomas says, what's up, guys? I just got done listening to the Year in the Life 2001 episode and loved it. I particularly love the brief listen to Fuel for Fire, as that was oddly enough the song that got me on board with Metallica. Growing up, neither of my parents listened to metal. My brother and I didn't typically stray too far from the influences of our parents, with Dave Matthews' band being about as outside the box as we hey. got. Oh, like that. That all changed in 2001 for me. I was and still am a huge racing fan. He says, TNT started their NASCAR coverage each week with Fuel for Fire, and I immediately fell in love with the song and the band that played it, though I had no idea it had been released on a compilation CD. I found out through a friend that the band was Metallica and Fuel was on their Reload album. I immediately bought Reload and listened to that CD and repeat for what seemed like years before I ever heard anything else from them. It wasn't until 2003, 2004 that through that same friend, I was exposed to anything else by the band, and it seemed like every new-to-me new song of theirs I heard was even more amazing than the last. I've been on the ride for 19 years and seven shows, and have loved every second of it, and hearing Fuel for Fire this morning brought me back to 2001 and the feeling of hearing it for the very first time. Uh-huh. For the first time. <laughs> hearing Fuel for Fire for the very first time. Thank you guys so much for every bit of content you put out. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You've created something that in one way or another has positively affected every one of us that listens to you. At this stage, Metallica fandom wouldn't be the same without you guys. I'm bummed that Zach and I couldn't make it down to the party this year, but we'll be there next year without a doubt. Keep doing what you're doing. Love and respect. Mike Thomas from Clarksburg, West Virginia, New Jersey. Oh, honey, thank you. Well, that is quite the compliment. Yeah, that's very nice. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, next email is from Joseph Caps. He says, I had the hardware videos playing uh, partially as background noise, uh, but catching random parts here and there and had a, an idea occur- occurred to me. Am I savage and the werewolf in general as a metaphor for addiction and the constant struggle against the beast within? Uh, I'm sure I'm not the first to draw this conclusion, uh, but I haven't uh, considered it before and thought it was worth sharing. Thanks, brothers. Joe Caps. Um, yeah, I you know it's a, it's similar to a wolf and man. It's like a right. transformation lyric, mm-hmm. sort of an obsession with wolves. Yeah, totally. Run away, the past will bite again. No matter where you dwell, here again a captive of the howl. Welcome back to hell. Yeah. Faithful as the full moon rising, beauty and the beast colliding. Sharpened edge, touch liquid flame. Deep in seed, so its anger's reign. Arcing back, shape shift arrange. Father, how I watch you change. Yeah, I, I like s- those lyrics. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Very metal. This is yeah, very metal. Um, even just you reading those real quick, just 
I'm reminded it why James needs to write the lyrics and not everybody else. You know what yeah. I mean? When they tried that on Saint Anger, obviously we know what happened, what came out of that. But I just, yeah, those are great lyrics. I think it needs to, in the future, be always James Hetfield. He's the one constant that doesn't change, and then also dabble in a little bit of Phil Tao. Little Phil. Just a little bit of. I mean, sometimes you know you need to zone it. A dab of Tao. Yeah. Well, you can get in the zone. You can shop at AutoZone. Yeah. Um. You can, unfortunately, if you're in the dating world, end up in the friend zone. Ooh, the friend zone. Boo. Yeah, boo. Or you can zone it, which is kind of a whole different way of, of dealing with the zone. Yeah. I mean. You turn zone into a verb. I try to zone it every day, you know? I'm zoning it currently. Oh, I'm zoning it hard right now, as our, as our YouTube viewers can see. Uh, we are on YouTube today, by the way. Hello, YouTubers. All right. Thanks, Joseph Caps. Moss Ruchger says, what's up, brothers? Keith Miller here. Oh, wait. Is this right? Right. Maybe his email is different, but he says, Keith Miller, uh, I found out about this podcast about a month ago and fell in love immediately. I'm a massive Metallica fan. It's great to always hear and learn more about my favorite band, especially if it's coming from such charismatic gentlemen as yourselves. Uh, gentlemen? Well, well, good day, sir. Please, 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 please. Perhaps there's a rain puddle, yes, and perhaps we're walking, taking a stroll. Through the park. Through the arbor. And, uh, but yes, cometh upon the puddle we do, yes. When I take off my, I unsheathe my jacket and lay it across thine puddle. Not for the ladies only. No, also for my friends Keith and Ethan. <laughs> so that you may walk across the puddle without getting your shoes wet and dirty. And it pleases me to keep my, my, oh, I thought knickers was, that's, that's, that's like, underwear. That's underwear, damn it. Yeah. Go oh, ahead, never try mind. again. No, I ruined try it. Try again. What's like British, like for sneakers or, I don't know. Shoes. Shoes. Clog, 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 clogs. <laughs> Nothing nips at my crawl quite like a pair of waterlogged clogs. <laughs> but it pleases me to keep them dry. Pleases me muchly, yes. Which is why I lay down my cape. It's a cape that I travel with. A cape, yeah, makes more sense. Lay it down thine cape across thine puddle and keep them dry. But I always thought, like, what do you do with the jacket or the cape after they walk across it? Then you just have a shitty wet cape. You just put it back on with, like, footprints on it? Do you just leave it forever? Is it gone? I don't know. You'd have to travel with a lot of capes. It's like people who have, like, a kerchief. A kerchief. A kerchief. And they blow their nose into it. Then they put that in their pocket? Yeah. I mean, I I keep a handkerchief in my back pocket, like, like Jimmy James Jam Het. Field, yeah, Esquire the second, yeah, uh, half fashion, half function. Mm -hmm. I don't blow my nose in it, right? But occasionally, if I'm like kind of little drip of sweat, I'll wipe that off. But I'm putting it in my back pocket. It's not going in against you know my chest. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it is weird. Okay, he goes on to say, <laughs> "We're still in an email world." I don't have any friends who are big Metallica fans, so I can never talk about the band with anyone. But because of the podcast, I still feel like I'm a part of the Metallica family. Because of you guys, I've also started giving Load and Reload a proper chance, and I'm starting to love them. I think when you start seeing the first four masterpieces and the more experimental albums of the 90s as two separate things, it's a lot easier to accept them. Yes. Finally, I have three questions. All right, so we'll do these in order, Ethan. Okay. He says, number one, what do you think the future will hold for Metallica? It's a pretty chill question. Also, considering that next year is the 40th anniversary of Metallica and the 30th anniversary of the Black Album. Well, I think that they're going to make another album and continue releasing box sets yeah. and continue touring at, at a reasonable clip. Well, and I mean, you know, I, I, all the shows that are scheduled right now are still on. I can confirm because I just hung out with our friend Wes Fisk last night. I guess uh, the text just didn't go through my invitation. Well, this was literally a he texted me, hey, I'm here. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, come by the house. Yeah. Okay. Well, it. again, I guess That's my weird. text well, let me didn't if... go through. Oh, it's still trying to send. Oh. That's what it is. Guess where Shoot. I live, too. Where here is, Nashville. Oh, we are in Nashville. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's like 15 minutes to my house. It's though. okay. It's if Wes is listening to this, Wes, it's okay if you consider Ethan your primary friend and I'm just <laughs> sort, of, sort of a friend that you discard. Uh, that's fine, Wes. No biggies. <laughs> no big deal. And maybe. Uh Well, what do you think about the future of Metallica? You, you can confirm they're doing these shows, but I think, he's, I think this is capital F future, not yeah, near future. What do you right. think about the future of Metallica? I th- yeah, I think, I think another record is in order, like you said. Um, Everything scheduled this year. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna plan some really cool shit. I hope they do at least for their 40th anniversary. I mean, we got those bitch and 30th anniversary shows. Yeah, maybe they'll do something similar like that in a small club again for like three or four nights. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about the future of Metallica. You know, I think this year is going to be kind of a winding down year for the album cycle. The album cycle is basically done. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I look forward to it. All right, number two. Which Metallica album has your favorite guitar tone? Mine would be "Ride the Lightning" or "Injustice for All." Mm, favorite guitar tone i'm gonna i'm gonna go with the black album yeah i would go low and reload yeah um <clears throat> justice is an interesting choice for that number three when are you doing the justice and puppets with commentary episodes i really love those much love from the netherlands keith miller uh well i guess soon yeah i mean those are, i didn't those realize are, we hadn't done those well i mean we've kind of covered a lot of those records twice on certain ones so uh no we haven't not these two what he's saying? Can we revisit any? Like, no, no, we have not. No, we've done a lot of episodes, man. I can't remember. I would like to welcome Ethan Luck to Metal Up Your Podcast. <laughs> it's his <laughs> first day, Planet Earth. Well, what he's saying is we haven't done the commentary episodes on those, right? So, yeah, I mean, no, I know we've that. done the initial episodes yes. on them, but we've been sort of revisiting them and talking while we listen. Yeah. He's saying he really likes when we do that. When are we doing these two? So we haven't done those two. We haven't done Saint Anger, and we haven't. I don't think we've done Beyond Magnetic. As we've listened, yeah. So hopefully soon. I mean, we're kind of camped out in the in the 2001 era here, so maybe when that breaks away, I still want to do the ride the lightning box set. I want to do like a few episodes on that, and then we got to yeah. do we got to do the puppets box set, and we got to do we already did kill them all, and we did justice, yeah. And then of course there's a there's a black album box set probably coming out yeah. this year or next year, yeah. Um, cool. Thanks for the email, Keith. Thank you, Keith. Uh, Chase Thompson says, "Hey guys, new listener and patron here. Thank you very much." Uh, I want to send uh, you a quick message to say first, you guys are awesome. Aw. Thank you. Um, thank you. Someone tell my wife that. And and second, I think you're a cover of Black and Dropbox links, Dropbox links for Volumes 1 and 3 are down on Patreon. I bought the EPs on iTunes anyway, since you guys deserve the support and more. That's awesome. Uh, so just letting you know, um, for any other newcomer patrons, keep up the great work and look forward to being a longtime listener. Well, you, you re- responded to him personally and, and addressed the... Uh, yeah, so here's the deal. So uh, there are all these old unlocked, uh, they're locked links, but once you become a patron, they unlock, and then you go have to go find them, and then they contain various links to previous mm-hmm. uh, Dropbox, blah, blah, blah. That's all restructured. Now when you sign up, you get everything that you need sent to you. Mm-hmm. All new links, all fresh, all really easy. You don't have to go hunt anything down. Right. I think it's fun for patrons to go read all those unlocked posts, because they're more than just links to, you know, we've written a lot of posts, thank you posts, and... Right. Uh, we're having Jay Weinberg on the show. What are your questions for him? And right. what do you guys think we should do about this? We 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 do a lot of like uh, we get a lot of feedback on Patreon. Mm-hmm. 
what do you guys think about this merch, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's kind of its own little sub-community over yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, the problem is, if you're a current patron and you're not getting that initial email with all the new shit, but let's just say you want to go back and download Cover Our Blackened, that link is dead. Yeah. So if you, for you current patrons out there, just send us a quick email with whatever you need and I'll make sure you get it. Yeah. But new patrons who sign up should get everything they need right in that first initial yeah, email. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Chase. Thank you, Chase. All right, our last email is from Super Ward. He says, hi, Clint, Ethan, Hulkster, Dave, Vegan Ethan, Medieval Mole Guy, Paw Paw, The Joyces, Lucius, Valentino, Torben, Movie Trailer Guy, Dark Continent Guy, wow. Clint's Bug Guy, Clint's Shitty Doctor, and most importantly of all, Paul. Paul. I think he covered everybody there. I've even forgotten about some of these that's guys. The, that's the whole cast, I think, right there. He says, my name is Aiden. I'm a 16-year-old Metallica indie rockhead from Ireland. Been meaning to write in for ages, but now I've finally gotten around to it. A bit of backstory. I've been listening to you guys religiously for almost a year now, since March 2019, after I randomly typed in Jason Newstead into Spotify, to which he writes, sorry. <laughs> and you guys popped up, and I was amazed at the amount of content you guys had. First episode I listened to was your episode on the Black Album, and now that I'm finally writing in, I can finally say, you guys were chewing ice. Yes, that was back in the olden days. You know, like, we've talked about, like, bringing back the pit contest or bringing back this and that. I want to bring back chewing ice. Yeah, I want to bring back ice chewing for sure. Or, or maybe slurping. Sl- some good soup, soup and coffee slurping. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to bring back being drunk on the show, because <laughs> we haven't done that in a few years. Oh, Lord. Maybe bring back some church giggles. Church giggles is a good one. Whatever the sloppy Joe sauce of the first like eight months were, we should just bring all that. Let's back. just do that. Let's just revert back to our former selves. He says, but in all seriousness, you guys have provided me a platform where for around an hour and a half every week I can nerd out about my favorite band with two guys who seem like buddies, even though I've never met you guys before, which in a way is kind of similar to the relationship I have with the boys in Metallica. I love all the little inside jokes and random singing breakouts that occur during your show. Clint, you singing Go Let It Out by Oasis at the end of an episode made me happier than it should have. I don't even remember that. <laughs> I don't either. Well, much like a, a, a um, an aged musical, we burst into song often. You know, sometimes I can't, we do. I can't remember all of them. It's in our blood. Sorry for the long email, but I had a few things I've been wanting to say for almost a year now. Keep doing what you guys do, and I'll listen to the end. If I ever meet you guys in Ireland, I will gladly buy you a hot chocolate or a coffee, not quite a beer, but hey, what can you do? Because this homie, Aiden, is only 16. Right. You got two years left. He says, metal up your ass, Aiden, from New Jersey, Ireland, New Jersey, Father Earth. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a great sign-off right he there. He says, P.S., a funny thing happened to me last Friday. I was eating breakfast, about to go to school, and my dad had a radio station on that plays older songs, when all of a sudden, a song I recognized came on the radio. After about a minute of thinking, it came to me. I pulled out my phone and used Shazam just to make sure, and sure enough, I was right. I waited anxiously for about a minute. Then it happened. That immortal line was sung. <laughs> now gray is my favorite color. He said they couldn't stop smiling. Anyway, have a great day. <laughs> I'm smiling right now. Thanks, Aiden. Oh, that's so awesome, man. You doing your Adam Duritz is one of my favorite things that's ever happened on the show. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to do it. Anytime. Just because it was so bizarrely accurate and also humorous and funny. <laughs> and you had you really didn't know at that time what a massive fan I was. I didn't. You know, there's just dormant in my heart. Well, you'll be happy to know I've been I've been dipping in a little bit more to the Counting Crows here and there. Well, they're just a really a great band. For they're real. a cool rock band, man. Um, I could curate for you maybe a five song thing where you, it really displays what a great band they are. Yeah, their hits I think are pretty good, but they're they're silly. You know, I remember the first time I heard Mr. Jones. Yeah, my mom was making fun of it. Yeah, and she was <laughs> and she she basically was like, "Hey, you got to hear this new song by this band called Counting Crows. It's so ridiculous. You're going to think it's hilarious." Yeah. Because she thought it was funny how he goes in the falsetto, Mr. Jones yeah. and me. I heard it and I was like, ooh, I really like this. I, I dig it, Mom. I really like yeah. it. I don't really see what's funny about it. Yeah. 
anyway, so that's the email corner, and uh, or should I say portal? portal? Holy shit, we're not in the corner anymore. Oh ba- no, baby, you can't put baby in the corner. No, no, I believe we were in the corner, and then that's where we found the portal. So right, well, if you stay in the corner long enough, something good will happen. Exactly, that's what I learned when I was a kid. Right, I was <laughs> constantly in trouble. Uh, well, you can write in metal up your podcast show at gmail.com. Even if we don't read it on the show, we respond personally. We love hearing from the metal up your podcast family. And now we'll exit the portal and uh, get into this Metallica classic albums. Let's do it. You're really good at that. Hey everyone, this is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month, or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free downloads of every cover our world black and ep ticket giveaways for shows like snm2 and slain castle box sets rare vinyl metallica memorabilia like snm2 guitar picks email priority meaning we'll read your email first on the show with a chance to ask guests like hailstorm jay weinberg of slipknot and metallica row crew your very own questions and the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our metal tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. <laughs> Um, did you want to give a shout out to your Facebook homie? Okay, yeah. So this was uh, this is kind of random, but uh, I live in Facebook world for our, our podcast, and this dude Dave Woods uh, commented on a recent post, and he said, "This is a damn good podcast. I found it right before Christmas and was caught up right after New Year's." So this dude binged 150 plus episodes. Well, really over 200 if he's listened to all the Metal Tales and stuff like that. In like. 10 days you know what i wish we had i wish we had the metal up your podcast awards and like we could give awards for shit like that yeah fastest binge goes to (laughs) fastest binge fastest binge and the award for fastest binge and what's what's the award like a 20 dollar gift card to dave and busters (laughs) a chuck e cheese an all-day pass to chuck e cheese yeah or a uh a 10 dollar gift card to 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 walmart (laughs) walmart (laughs) to the produce section of walmart (laughs) yeah you can only buy vegetables (laughs) And you well, get dude, a weekend supply of carrots. Dude, thank you so much for listening. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, we hear, we're we getting to the point now where I guess one of the benefits of be- becoming an older podcast yeah. is we do have a lot of backlogged content. And we're hearing a lot that people are discovering it, however, mm-hmm. and binging it. And uh, it's cool, man. I feel like we've created a cool little body of work. Yeah, and along with the other podcasts, along with, with Tom at Alpha Metallica, which Tom finished his song by song series yeah. and now he's kind of just branched out to just a general metallica podcast cool which i think is really great i love his insights on metallica and then of course you've got metallicast metallichat speaking uh, ryan downey at speaking destroy yeah. so there's a lot of really good stuff out and i think all of the podcasts are still active they still put out stuff and yeah it's absolutely cool i mean when we started this thing over three years ago we didn't think there'd be a bunch of other metallica podcasts but here we are 
And there's so much now besides ours, so much content out there just for you guys to dive into if you haven't checked those other podcasts out. I want to have the Metallicat guys on and Brandon from Metallicast. Yeah. Because we've had Tom. And I want to get Ryan on too. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan occasionally comes through Nashville. So next time he's in town, hopefully we'll both be yeah, here. Yeah, that'd be really, can happen. that would be really neat. It'd be really fun. <laughs> I mean, what can I say? I want his face on a t-shirt. Now, here we go. Um, <clears throat> we're doing this classic album. So for those of you who maybe don't know what it is or haven't seen it, I kind of wanted to just hip you to it a little bit. So classic albums, British documentary series about pop rock and heavy metal albums that are considered the best or most distinctive of a well-known band or musician, or that exemplifies stage in the history of music. Oh that blurb was written by a British guy. For sure. Or, yeah. or gal, for yeah. sure. It just has that tinge of aristocracy. and It's very sophisticated sounding. Distinctive of a well-known band or musicians, or that exemplifies stage in the history of music, yes. Um <laughs> The TV series was made by Isis Productions, distributed by Eagle Rock Entertainment, shown on various broadcasters, including BBC, ITV, Sky Arts, VH1, and VH1 Classic, also available on DVD. Now, the Metallica one has bonus features on the DVD. Awesome. Seven additional chapters. I found five of them on the internet. Rad. So there are two that I, I mean, and I'm telling you, I was doing like, I don't know, private detective level excavation <laughs> on the internet to find yeah. these. They are not easy to find. Yeah. The you can find um, we're going to be watching this on Amazon Prime by the way, which I pay for. So awesome! That's how we're we're. But you can kind of find it like bootlegged on YouTube in in chunks. Right. Yeah. Uh, classic albums one of five, two yes, of five. Yes, totally. To find these fucking bonus episodes was it really took me a lot of time. Yeah. So um, we do have those. So we're and I think that a lot of people probably haven't even heard those. Yeah, it's very possible, especially if they're that hard to find too. Well, I mean, here. here well, I never owned the DVD, so I didn't. I never. I, I'm going to be watching lots of bonus stuff for the first time. I, I also never owned the DVDs. Um, the bonus interviews are number one, James and Lars discussing songwriting. Number two, drum recording techniques. Number three, Kirk talking about the Wherever I May Roam solo. Number four, Jason talking about My Friend of Misery. Cool. The two I couldn't find were one called Bob Rock in the Desert, another one called The Mix, The Masters, and The End of the Story, and then the last one, which I did find, was James talking about The God That Failed. Awesome. I am so bummed that we can't watch Bob Rock in the Desert. I would watch a four-hour uh, Quentin Tarantino-esque link yeah. film about Bob Rock in is the Bo Desert. Is it just Bob Rock standing there with a, a flowy blouse on? He's just... wearing, well, he's wearing like a cowboy hat, and he's got a six-shooter, yeah. which is what sling for a gun right and uh he's wearing like assless chaps but he's got denim under it yeah and he's he, it's like <laughs> and then there's tumbleweeds and shit it's yeah. just that for four hours love it the sun comes up and down many times love it i'd watch that <laughs> <laughs> so are you ready to jump into this I absolutely i mean let's do it here is the blurb that was on the dvd in case you didn't have that and i had it up here here it is uh the story of the making of this remarkable album is told here via exclusive interviews with band members james hetfield lars ulrich kirk hammett and jason newstead archive footage and performance and con contributions from producer bob rock uh it says the making and continued influence of metallica's commercial breakthrough known simply as the black album the black album is entertainingly recounted in this must for metallica fanatics especially those who are interested in the recording of one of hard rock's most sonically breathtaking albums the Dolby 2.0 stereo sound is appropriately pummeling, even if we're treated to mere excerpts from the songs, videos, and even some of the original demos. Classic albums Metallica adroitly summarizes a pivotal moment in hard rock history. Mm -hmm. Don't say adroit. Don't say adroitly anymore. <laughs> adroit. just, just don't do it. Uh, you ready to jump I'm in? I'm ready, man. I'm ready. All right, cool. Well, here we go. Uh. This is my favorite song on the Black Album. Yeah, I know. 
kind of sounded like Nevermind. It's like a montage of a like record stores and wherever I may wander. <laughs> wander. It's crazy how dated this looks. Here we go. Is our oh, boy in this? Oh, is he in this? It's the it's the shot from Tower Records. Yeah, let's headbang. Oh man, I bet they show it. Please show it. The Black Album. Oh, dang it. I mean, it was. I guess it was called Metallica, but I always call it the Black Album. There was no real theme. Oh, sorry, sorry. To this one, it was simple black cover and you had to listen to the music you wouldn't be distracted by a, a drawing on the front okay let's rock it's fucking two o'clock in the morning Bob. <laughs> there's nobody in la right now is having any fun they're all in bed james we're, gonna, here, we're all looking so at porn we're looking at porn rock. starting off with inner sandman i've heard of it this song is so awesome dude i know Thank you, Kirk. So they're kind of burning... You can see they're burning it down live, probably just to get the drums. Yeah. Jason with his glasses. Kirk looking like Santana. All the songs are from day one were usually based around a riff. You get a good riff, that's, the, that's pretty much the meat of the song. And you're kind of James is wearing a strange necklace. What is that on the end of it? It's, it's like dice, dice, but then there's also a metal thing. Kind of like the car culture thing, too. Song. The first song that we um, tackled was this great riff that Kirk Hammett uh, had come up with. Um, the Kirkmeister. Which basically was this thing that became Inner Sandman. It's funny when Lars calls him by his full name. Give me fuel. Give, Give me fire. fire. Give me that which I desire. Never, never land I remember that video being pretty scary. Riff. It's my riff. Your first riff you ever wrote? Yeah, the first riff I ever wrote. <laughs> good. Uh, That's good. I wrote it. That's a good riff. Yeah, like three o'clock in the morning. Damn it! Sorry, guys. <laughs> I was all fired up. And I, I said to myself, "I'm gonna write a really heavy riff that's heavier than anything." No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Go, Kirk, that's you jokester. Well, it's Randy Stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not the story. The riff that's on the record and the way it exists today is not the, really the, the way tail he speech. wrote it. He mm -hmm. wrote like this riff that was like kind of one thing and then what we call a tail. So it was like one and one and one and one and one and one. Quite the original way it <laughs> was. You got it? So this is them jamming it in the same studio in present day. Notice that James isn't there for this part. Yeah. So it's Jason, Lars, and Kirk jamming. And, oh, there he oh, there's was. James. There he was. Of changing it around so it would become, you know, three and then the tail. So I repeated the front part. It's an amazing lick. David Frick. Yeah. That is exactly the kind of thing that blew the doors wide open. You know, it was great classic rock but it was classic. smart it had like classic a futurist rock. quality to it it wasn't like anything that you heard on old heavy metal records it wasn't like anything on the radio 
And the one thing about that riff on the radio, it just blew out the speakers. It blew out of them. You couldn't, you know, it just announced itself. Here we are, like it or lump it. These are the outsiders. Lump it? Like it or lump These it? These are the guys for four albums. Only Cliff Bernstein. Ever played their music Santa Claus. In Santa Claus. America. They didn't make a video until almost the end of their fourth album's run. They're a garage band who was supposed That's to Paul tour Giamatti. for the rest of their life, and that was <laughs> That's it. That's what's his name, Lon, they were Lon a band Friend. That was developing. Lon Friend. Irregardless name, yeah. of their arena status. Wow, what a very name! Very organically. There he is, Lon Friend. And metal radio. Nobody else gave a rat's ass about Metallica. Hey, language. language. They were not Earmuffs. planned to be Eric the biggest rock band in the world. Sir Clapton's fatter cousin. Yeah. We had finished the Justice Scooter Tour about nine months before, and, and we really felt that, that there was something specific that we wanted to do, with, which was to sit down and try and write simple songs. Simple songs compared to what? I mean, simple songs compared to where we'd been before. To Justice. I think after listening to the Justice album, it was pretty apparent that we needed some kind of guidance. <laughs> uh, Justice album, I mean, I'm not knocking it. It was, it was right at the time and it felt good. And, but you can just, you can absolutely tell who was producing, mixing the thing, you know? You and, and Lars, are really you guys. <laughs> and guitars are really loud, so that would be me and Lars. The memory. Kind of a thing that, um, There's Jason. Didn't feel very good for me because you really couldn't hear the bass. And there's many reasons for that. And I was as responsible for it not being there as anyone else was. What? Come um, on, not come being on. I think they realized that they had to go, they had to make a, what, a, what we call an out-of-the-box kind of decision Maybe he could have how they were spoken going to make their next record. Because they'd always made records in the way they, musically and technologically, themselves knew how to make it. If you're to look at Eric Clapton, huge right turn <laughs> Scooter, to Scooter Clapton. Record, then Guys, it's a bass it's, scooter. It's glaring. Maybe you don't Here wear a bright yellow shirt on that day. Knew how yeah. to make sonic records that radio absolutely loved. So the marriage between Bob Rock and Metallica was destined for huge. Bob Rock was so cool. I went man. to see them yeah. um, on the Justice tour when they played Vancouver. A little Seattle, '89 footage. Yeah. couple months later, I guess, um, their management had contacted my manager about mixing their next album. And uh, after seeing them, I told them, I don't really want to mix it. I actually want to produce it. He basically sat down and was like so brutally honest with us. You know, he sat down and said, I've seen you guys play a bunch of times live and I've listened to your records. The one and, time, um, yeah. You guys have not captured what you do live on a record yet and we're like I don't think that's what the Black me. Album is either though I don't uh, think so either fuck are you <laughs> but he had instantly had vision on where these things could go and that was it was inspiring to me you know it wasn't just Lars and I trying to sort out what should happen and argue and this and that we had a fifth member that was gonna help us get what we wanted Future fourth member. The work they yeah. had done before was pretty much every band member was recorded separately. So um, I told them that how I worked was 
the the band playing the song right in the studio. Sure, it's weird being together, back in the studio recording a new version of, of it. Approaching it that way, right. everybody playing together and, and getting more of a a feel for the song and the the whole thing. In the past, it had always been about basically nailing the perfect drum track, and it was just me and James in here. And James would just play along when I was trying like to nail the perfect drum track. We used to punch drums in, make it up to like the first chorus, and then we'd go back and play from the first chorus up to the second chorus. So it became like really, really like stiff. It was always about not fucking up. Fucking. It was never about just letting the music carry. Have you, you noticed they're all wearing white place. shirts? Yeah. That's gotta be intentional. Black album, Black ten years later. Yeah, I don't know. Fuck you in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was tuned down, yeah. Tuned down for sure. That was kinda in that in that era where they're uh uh oh. Are we good? Yep. You gotta understand that at that time, I mean, we were young, naive, uh, very set in our own ways, and nobody fucked with us. We had a formula, and this is how it is, and end of story. I would say the whole first part of, uh, you know, uh, maybe three months of the album, including pre-production, was really, really difficult. Uh, I think Kirk. <laughs> they were all a bit suspicious of me, and for me to sit down and make comments on their songs, most of them kind of went, unnoticed well, I'd weren't say you in the payolas ignored me because <laughs> the guys in anthrax and megabeth would just like tease him so much if it was melodic and nice right <laughs> this guy's not shy and he would just sit there and throw all these ideas out and and come up with all this wacky shit there was a definitely a breaking in period you know where <laughs> laura's pretending to, to have sex with bob you know test each other out and make sure this guy's okay to you know help you know, drive the Metallica train here, you know. Bob used to be a woman. <laughs> I love that scene. Yeah. Look at tough guy. <laughs> nice hair color. Did your makeup. Bob Rock looked like 10 years ago. We put him through the ringer a lot. Bob wearing a Justice for All shirt. Yeah. So that's, this guy's on the side by himself. Was he like the leader? Or was yeah, the... he's the leader. He told you what to do? That girly looking guy? What we did is we, we just, <laughs> we tried to expand every sound. Yeah. Uh, to the max, we you know we to the max to the max guitars to the max to the as possible, and the drums as big as possible, the bass as big as possible, you know, big and weighty. You got to hand it to Bob Rock for being able to kind of like penetrate that fortress. You know what I mean? Like with Metallica doing all the shit their way for so long. Check out that Sabbath True overdub. I love that. They were absolutely beautiful for what they were. For those that haven't seen this, there's a lot of footage from the year and a half left from Metallica in this very little bass frequency other than coming from the low end of the guitars. When Bob Rock came into the picture, bass frequencies also came into the picture. That's what I'm saying, the bass should be with them. He said, turn that bass up. Go figure. And then we had the wonderful chore of trying to make it all fit through two speakers, which was, you know, you learn these things. (laughs) Yeah, man, he did a fucking awesome job. Oh, yeah. Just 
just the guitars. So this is where they're like at the desk, at the console. So like, that's the wall of guitars. Soloing parts and stuff like Left, that. Right, and the thickener. <laughs> we couldn't just do one guitar for each guy. I had to do like three. <laughs> you know, I played all the rhythm tracks and they had to be dead on. It was just a mm, big wall of sound. And <laughs> Is that that Moscow or Russia show? Yep. Uh, that is right there. Yeah. So many people. Come on. Radio had heard so much about this band, and they had really been pushed to play them by fans more than anybody uh, and resisted that when a record came along that had some serious hooks, a real groove aspect to it, it really grooved, was super well produced and sonically sounded great. They had to deal with it. And then you had a whole nother audience oh, that had in passing heard what Metallica the was or face. thought of them as this real over-the-top heavy metal band and realized that this was not necessarily just a great heavy metal record. It was a great rock record. It had a lot of groove. Like when you die, like on wherever my I may roam, it has kind of like a groove, kind of like when you die, looking for those magical and up as a mole, and and cutting them together and making one, you know, magical take. There's a lot of cutting it together and then changing it and recutting in bits, and it was a quite a long process. Randy Staub, engineer Randy, yeah, and the method really the only method available to us at that time there was really no digital editing per se so they were just cutting tape dude yeah that i mean that's chops down by the end that's for sure that's some tedious (laughs) tedious work we liked it here because we could take our time and there was no other bands kind (laughs) of peeking in sounds good dude you know it was our place we could shut the door and everyone could just fuck right off you know and with bob it, it became much more about like a vibe and it became much more about a moment and it became much more about a performance and it became much more about taking what we were doing into another place that we had never been before and um, trying to let go of the past. A little bit too fast. <laughs> yeah. That was a prime example of what song or what the tempo to play Savage This we argued. Bob slowed it down. Because that riff sounded so happy when it was fast like that. That's the demo. Demo, yeah. Well, they made that five-song demo that they gave to Bob. It's like a punk song. Even the vocals just too rushed. Oh, it sounds so weird to hear it like that. Yeah. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, that's also the importance of a good producer, right there. Is to take if you hadn't, you know, if there was no idea about slowing the song down, you might think this is still a cool song. But Bob hearing something like that, like this needs to slow down and have more groove, more backbeat. You know, your words are too fast. Stuff like that is why you bring someone like Bob Rock in. He ma- to me, he made that song what it is. To sort of grab it and try and pull it more open and let us into a whole different way of doing things. And that was so amazing in retrospect. I mean, the nine months we spent in this room were pure hell because we... Um, we were just really reluctant. I could see I wasn't going to get anywhere with arrangements. Um, I concentrated on tempos and mainly the feel, trying to find the, the pocket for the, the tempos and, and, you know, just making changes like that. And really I'm glad he didn't change any arrangements. Yeah. Finding out what the band was about. 
my dirty work scapegoat when you die. Yeah. Kirk's U2. U2 kinda, guitar. It's really cool. And it kinda, yeah. the, the thing that's great about it is it actually works well with this. That's really cool. That bendy thing. Yeah. We played that. Uh, that was you, wasn't it? Yeah. And then we had to spin it in, because as I remember, it wasn't really popular when we did it. Well, that's what happens after you've heard the song a billion times. You go back to cool stuff that you did and think, well, why didn't we turn it up? Somehow like the ambient guitars in the chorus. Yeah. So I guess James did kind of a second ambient part that complimented Kirk's. Sad but true. Yeah. Cliff that Bernstein. Riff, which is one of the heaviest riffs I've ever heard. It is. When yep. I had my wisdom teeth taken out before I went under with the anesthetic, that was the last thing I could remember with the sad but true riff. Wow. That's music for pulling your teeth out. And they have a song called Pulling Teeth. That's right. Lars and I were on really He's tying that into a Kilimari issue. Yeah. And he, you know, he was nocturnal. You know, he just wanted to record all night and sleep all day. And I, I didn't dig that. I'd rather be in, you know, during the daytime and take a few breaks, go outside and feel some sun on me. And it was tough because I'd come in and do some guitar stuff or vocals and then Lars would come do some drum thingies. and, and Drum thingies. Drum thingies. <laughs> Bob was here 24 studio seven, term. you know, he was burning midnight oil. For the most part, I think we all didn't sleep enough and we all worked way too hard. I never really had the, the big picture of this album that I think Lars did. Um, I just knew it was a bunch of good songs and that's all any of our other records had been. These are the best songs we can write, and we'll put them out. Holier Than Now and, and some of those songs were uh, finished much earlier than, than like the Sandmans of the world. Lars knew before we recorded just by the demos that Sandman was the song. I didn't hear it. <laughs> wow. It was like the big front row runner. I remember everybody, like, it's one big argument, like, Holier Than Now is the, you know, the first track on the record. And the first single, and I was just like, guys, you don't get it. <laughs> so for the record, what was it like? Yeah, it, it was, was the riff, and it was the energy, you know, and then the lyrics came, and the melody, and then, you know. And the lyrics came, and, and then, then it wasn't and the then, single. And then it wasn't the single, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like, you know, what do you do? We're talking about holier than now. Yeah. On the radio. <laughs> There's that restaurant scene in yeah. You're in the Half of the Talking About That. I do have this, like, recollection of the time when your buddy Tom Lee came out here and you were playing him the song and it was just like the intro, you had a crank and it sounded really cool actually. Holier Than Thou is such a good song. An amazing underpraised song. I mean, I can see why they thought that might have been a great lead off. Yeah. It's all thrashy. Uh-oh. They should honestly put this song in the thrash slot. I love this song, yeah. I, I would back that. Now that's <laughs> interesting because there's not a hell of a lot of that on the mix. That's a talk box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's throwing up. Wow. We were kind of going for a Bon Jovi thing there. Uh, Peter a bon Jovi, bon Jovi thing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but I also remember that you always like 
talking about that once we got up into the higher tempos that there was less kind of things we could do with it in terms of like production and ideas and taking it into different places that there was much more um, the possibility like with the slower songs to go in different places and fiddle with different parts and be more adventurous I think you kind of felt that when we were up in the faster tempos it was more restricting yeah <laughs> he taught us all to listen Jason not just hear to really actually listen to what's going so on so intense what mm, needs to yes. be and how things work together to make the song breathe and pulsate I noticed too ominously that when Jason is being interviewed, uh, in the back there's a Metallica logo, but it's upside down. Oh yeah. Have yeah, you yeah. noticed that? Am I reading too much into that? Lifted from somewhere. Uh, maybe, but turned backwards so no one knows who or where it came from. But <laughs> we're not going to disclose that right now. Huh? But yeah, definitely like the this spaghetti western feel right. to it all. What a perfect song, man. They captured lightning in a bottle for sure. We've written these other ballady type songs that fade to black and look before, which was always about the kind of melodic verse and then the heavy chords. Twisting, turning, and I really thought the never. Reverse that. I love through the never. Yeah. Write a song where those dynamics were changed around. Shot. Could have added a few more shots. Shama ding dong. Oh, this is the struggle within. <laughs> it is, yeah. Man, I could do without all the song inserts. Yeah. They're really long. It's a lot of filler. Yeah. Yes, yes. All right. This is the shit I want to see. Yeah, exactly. No, it's just like the, the kind of ambience in the room. Yeah. It's just so amazing. The, the, I mean, the tempo just really lends right, itself yeah. to the, the size of the room. On the drums, we just use a lot of different room mics to get that, that kind of feel. Um, and a lot of EQ. <laughs> we just pushed it um, as far as we could. We spent, you know, weeks on the drum sound. Pays off. Oh, yeah. Sounds really boxy in that room. Like, whatever yeah. recorded that. 25 minutes here and change the snare head and do another set. Okay? Essentially, it took a long time to get, to get some of the tracks done. But, uh, I mean, they came out. Quite awesome, I must say. Yeah. He right? He right? Acoustic with a harmony. Oh, I didn't know that was Whoa. in there. Weird. That's not very prominent in the final no, mix. No, no way. The black wow, that was great sounding. Was I don't know. I could see it was, it was kind of weird. It's cool though. That concerned. part doesn't need a harmony. The songs, you know, no. the songs are just screaming for certain types of guitar solos. When we did the solos and when we do solos now, it's kind of Lars and myself that kind of produce Kirk through the solos because uh, um, Kirk just uh, 
he just needs to be pushed. I can only think of just a couple guitar souls that are actually played on the spot, The Unforgiven being one of them. It's like he's got to fucking eat, sleep, and breathe this fucking solo until it's done. I just knew he could do better. I had come up with this whole thing. <laughs> Lars in the back, really cringing. Yeah. Guitar solo, and I was really excited about it, and everyone hated it. <laughs> Cut to the chase and fucking play, okay? All right, man. <laughs> now that you've, uh, you know, warmed up, Let's hear the fucking guitar player of the year solo. I love that. Snippet out of that video, it, it, you could say that maybe I was a bit of a jerk, um, but there was a lot of jerks around the studio at that time. <laughs> and I really had to like really dig very very deeply to to get get that that whole feel out. I really 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 just just love how that that solo starts off. Kind of didn't sound like the right notes when he just did it, right? Yeah. Did it? Fucking robocall messed the video up. Damn it. Yeah, th th these kind of inserts with this stuff is is too long. Like, well, it's like total it's total filler. It's like filler yeah, bullshit. Have it playing in the background, maybe bring it up just for like ten seconds tops. Bob picks at him, you know, come on, great, you know, guitar player of the year and all this stuff. Frank Kirk, I can do it, I can do it. Right? And then he gets to him. Right to that point where Kirk's damn it. Oh yeah. He, the Metallica logo. That's the take that you use on the right. I think it's a road case. You, it's upside down. you know what it might be? A road case with the lids just open. Aesthetically though, it's saying yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. My throat is really fucked up right now. Okay. I wouldn't ask you to do a drum roll if your arm fell off. <laughs> I did actually lose my voice on the Black Album. Uh, I pushed it too hard. And that's actually what got me into a maintenance program and, and taking a lesson. I went to this guy who was a cantor for a, uh, a, canta. a church or you know, a synagogue. A canta. I walked in and I, I was so scared. <laughs> He was sitting there with the piano and, okay, la, 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 la. Oh, no. So, you know, and I looked up on the, on the wall and I saw a few gold records from other bands. Like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot here. And he got my voice back into shape to where I actually uh, could produce a note again. Because <laughs> it was bad. It was, you know, I had nodes, calluses and all of that. And he got it back into shape. And. Uh, there were nodes, my confidence nodes and, and know, calluses. End up singing like a it's my new metal band singer. Nodes. Even if Good I'm night, Derek Garnett. We are nodes and it. calluses. You know, I'd still <laughs> sing like a sailor. <laughs> They're listening to this and laughing. It's a demo. Rome demo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you go na na na. <laughs> Actually, this is the first lyrics. time I ever heard anybody do this as well. Right. I never got a demo with Wana Na on it. <laughs> <laughs> that was what was so cool. Is like, I mean, a lot of times James would write scat. the lyrics to like five minutes before he was singing it. But the melody. Well, these were the lyrics. Good. You guys didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, I think, one of the key things that sets us apart from most of the other bands is that James would always like, he would always like write the melody first. And then he would fill in the words according to it's like pretty unusual per line. Pretty unusual way to write. Kind of guy, That's like, kind of how I do it. 
read novels really? or I come up with the melodies first. I don't sit down and and write nice little poems that eventually end up like uh, you know end up as lyrics and songs. Uh, so got the Metallica like in the background. It was vertical now. One of my again. What is it saying? What does it mean? Songwriters. It mean? But, you know, he would sit down and just write poetry, and and I, I just I don't do that. Fuck. <laughs> Told you to not fuck around. Because things were slower. <laughs> David Frick again. Was that was a pretty funny clip you insert right the there. The instruments and the character of the music. Him shooting the gun. That yeah. was probably a big influence on letting him loosen up and letting him go away. Robocalls. We said that didn't simply have to be anti this God piece damn of it. Jeez. The only way was to really go in inward every fucking day. Yeah. And a little more universal uh, when you start talking about your own feelings and uh, more just l kind of questions about life and things that that touch everyone um, you can't go wrong with that you know once you start talking about your own feelings uh, and a little less about the outside world it's kind of interesting that uh, I've noticed that Jason's the only one that hasn't been in the, in the control room yet he's been in the control room he was in the when the live room they were jamming but well, I guess maybe one of the bonus features when they're talking about the Wherever I May Roam solo, he's in there with Kirk. Okay, or my friend of Misery, probably. We'll get to that. We'll get there. Yeah, then they just play these long montages of the song. Yeah, it's like we know the song. Like right there, fade it out back into content. Well, it's a way for them to just bloat it up. Sure. There's Jason. Oh, that crack. There we go. That was a that brack. That's a six-string bass, right? Twelve. Twelve-string Twelve string bass. bass. Excuse my arithmetic. That's <laughs> something that Excuse needs to my arithmetic. <laughs> Six was not nearly heavy it? enough. We tried eight, and that wouldn't work, so we went to twelve. Thank crack. That sound right there. Yeah. Wow. Twelve-string wow. of the bass. The bass frequency. It oddly sounds eastern. Like an Eastern percussion. That's rad. I know that that was a big. Kajong. Kind of sounds just like a big piano note, but different. The simplicity <laughs> in the songs <laughs> left it wide open for vocals to take over, and that was kind of a first time. Uh, usually, the vocals for Feels me like were the first you know, time. Someone's got to sing, the and there's got to be time. words in the song, so I'll do it. I just said to James, I said, you know, if we can get it, so. Um, you know, one track of vocals can can sound great. Uh, people are going to relate to that. There's, they're going to hear that that's one person singing it. And uh, I tried to bring out the person, and and that's he ended up really liking the sound. And in terms of the relationship with James that I had, I think that really broke the ice. It's pretty good, but it just needs a little more uh, soul or character, a little more head feel in there. I'd I'd never be where I was today without his willingness to to push me farther and, and uh, get me to open my mind a little more about different singing styles, different microphones, different feels, uh, getting into different moods and things like that with the vocals. James does seem a little, I don't want to read too much into it, he does seem like a little sad. He seems like a little subdued in these interviews. Yeah, I mean... You're not terribly far from him going to rehab. You've got Jason stuff bad. looming. I think that set the tone for the next uh, two, and years. Half, two and a half years after. Ten years. Yeah, right. <laughs> I should say ten years. 
throat. Roll the old R on throat. Yeah. Maybe they'll put wherever I may roam guy in now. Wow, well, wherever I may roam. <laughs> I think yours is better than mine. <laughs> Call me what you will. Call me what you will. It became the ultimate road dog song, you know, and the road crew and the life we've lived, you know. You know we started this band when we were 19 and we've been on the road ever since, you know, and you kind of realize that, well, this is our, our, our home. I didn't expect this album to do what it, what it did. And I didn't expect the impact that it would have on, on a lot of people. It, it just started rolling when it, when it came out and just kept on rolling and rolling and rolling. We went out on tour. Such a long tour. And the tour dates kept on coming and coming and coming. When they first came in, they had sold two million records. But when they came in again, they had sold five million records. And you know, because the album was such a big international hit, we were able to go to all these places and play for all these people because the demand was there. And it became the tour that would not end. It seemed like every time you'd say, well, that's enough, you'd go, yes, but since we played here, we sold another two and a half million. And even if we only play for the fans out of that number who want to come and see you, it's still enough to do these big shows. So it went on. I never on thought and about on it on. like that. I don't yeah. How many dates they played? I had 300 or so. They're like you have two million more fans in this one. region. We gotta so go even back. if even if people huge. are for you know a couple years and don't want to see it again, the new people will come. Yeah, we got to go back now. Spaces and a lot crazy. of uh, a lot of money was flowing. Then a lot of people were coming around, and I think that we all got caught up in the rock star thing. Fortunately, we all were grounded enough. Like we had enough shows under our belt, enough miles traveled, enough of that to realize the big picture. Everybody knows that you, if you're gonna go do something and you're gonna drink too much or whatever, you better be ready to hit the next day. So That's true, yeah. This is not a job you can call in sick to. If you got 50,000 people waiting out there that paid for a ticket and they're waiting to see you, you better be on it. After a tour is ended, I go through like some so weird cool. sort of state of depression where I have to kind of find my momentum again and my day-to-day -day thing again because uh being on tour is like being on a on a uh, uh, on a, a train that's going like it's like when you die you're on a train to death and then at, it's like being on a death day, train you're just <laughs> in one spot you know left to your own devices and you kind of think what did i used to do before all this <laughs> This is them re-recording it in the studio. Trill. Yeah. Definitely sounds like a rehearsal. Yeah, I, I mean, they're probably... I don't, I don't know if they're actually laying this down for any reason other than just for the this episode but there is a real human quality to the album and and to me I think with with the songs and the vocals especially I think James on this album take took a huge leap in terms of getting what he was trying to say across. I think the album stands as being a very personal album and, and people could just feel, you know, you could, there's just a sense 
of a real band playing there. And even though it was kind of constructed in some ways bit by bit, uh, just the general feel of it is, is one of, a, of, of uh, humans playing it. And what I always try and do is really humans? try and bring out the, per the personalities in the band and, and make, you know, make records that people love to hear. Excuse me. I've never really thought about it being a personal album, but I guess it is. Coming up Nothing else matters. Yeah. Unforgiven. Holier than thou. Nothing else matters. Uh, God that failed. Just yeah. Sitting around, I think talking on the phone while I had the guitar sitting on me, and I was talking and just started hitting this, these four strings in this certain way, and because they were all open strings, you know, da 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 da, da. and then it kind of, I gotta go, you know, <laughs> and then I started coming up and. Doing little pull-offs here and there, and just great guitar part. I know there. that's cool. I love uh, origin stories of, of certain songs like that. Where it's just the simplest thing. I was just on the phone, just hitting guitar with one hand. And that's picked with fingers too, and it's still shimmery and kind of bright. New strings. Nothing else matters. Lyrically was, uh, you know, being on the road for a long time and you know missing your chick at home, really essentially and uh, kind of the distance and all the bond and all of that stuff and uh, <clears throat> you know girlfriends come and go <laughs> and uh, the song still means something though to other people it's a it's a, a brotherhood bond you know it, it means something to the four of us together he's got a naked pornographic picture <laughs> next <laughs> to him well, that was a motley crew for a second yeah no joke it is funny back in this, the 80s and early 90s where it's like dudes recording just have like oh just the vocal the sensitive feel no pro tools this is all the real deal I love that dude I love how quick he noticed the, the pitchy part of his lap yeah no I mean the editing yeah Again, harmonies, which I'd never done on previous records. You didn't know harmony? Not really. I mean, maybe in a couple other ballady stuff, but... It's a good point. Are there any other vocal harmonies? Maybe either. I only think it was maybe Sanitarium or maybe Fade to Black, but... I don't know. Maybe on the choruses of one? Really no intention of, of it being a Metallica song. It was a song for me and how I felt and... It was really too personal for the band, you know. I didn't, I didn't think they'd like it first of all. And boy, maybe this isn't really Metallica material, you know. This is just me writing for me. Uh, I guess Lars or someone had heard it, and hey, that's good. It's like, uh oh, that boy, good. Uh oh. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, now what do I do? I was always really into Brian May and his orchestration on the guitar, single note, and the three-part harmonies moving around. And that's what I had done with Nothing Else Matters. I wrote the string part uh, with, uh, with an ebo. Nothing Else Matters was just... I didn't know that. That's cool. The one song on the record that, that you couldn't put like, limits or parameters around, or borders around. It was just like, that, that could be as much as... Limiters, As parameters, borders. Could, he likes to elaborate. Make it out yeah. to be. Um, so when Bob suggested the orchestras, 
I certainly was open to it. Um, you know, um, interested. I had no idea how you'd do it. I mean, I was, I was kind of embarrassed because I didn't know how to, well, I don't know how to write music or, you know. Okay, so the orchestra comes in and do I have to show them the part? I mean, how does this work, you know? <laughs> I'm going to be sitting here showing these, uh, you know, the string quartet, uh, you know. Right here, then here. <laughs> I didn't even know the notes on the guitar. <laughs> so uh, Bob said, no, nah, don't worry about it. We'll get someone to come and score the thing. Don't worry about the it. I've got a ponytail. One day. Yeah. Are you interested in doing a song with Metallica? It was Michael Kamen. Michael Kamen. My name. Orchestra? It's Michael Kamen. That's pretty odd. Um, I said, well, send me the song. And I didn't know what to expect because I wasn't really uh, a devotee of Metallica's work. I knew of them, and I knew kind of what they did. I thought I did, anyway. It's Appalachian and, um, folk music. When yeah. <laughs> they sent me the song, I was truly surprised. It was a ballad. I could just follow the tune and just go... But it would be boring... It's kind of a lot of clowns. Orchestras don't like to play that stuff. It's not interesting for them to play that stuff. So you make up lines. So you. I sent them the tapes back, and uh, like you get in rock and roll. No response. Didn't ring. No, <laughs> nobody called to say, oh, great, we love it, we love it. It was just sent into the void. Well, sure, oh, he got paid for it. The thing up. Yeah. It was like, uh, what have we done? And you slowly Bob, got used to it, you know. Bob, we got to talk to you. <laughs> and I think in retrospect, we probably could have pushed it a little more. I mean, I, I do remember sort of the orchestra. I do remember this. They talk about how buried it is in the mix. The right. Being turned lower and lower down in the mix. They left a little of it in the record. Um, as it there's more than out, a little in the record. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, winning a lot of awards that year and um, I showed up at the Grammys in New York and I was sitting in the audience when Metallica walked out on stage and they played really loud and they were playing great and it was an astounding thing, and I realized, God, they're great. They're really a great rock and roll band. And I went backstage, and I walked into their dressing room, and I said to them, "Hi, I'm uh, Michael Kamen. I did the uh, Michael Kamen. Uh, Michael Kamen. You know, nothing else matters." Oh, God, we love that chart. Well, that's nice of you, but I, I couldn't really hear a lot. It's of crazy them. they didn't right. meet him before that. Oh yeah, yeah but listen to this. And they pulled something out of their bag. We called it the elevator it version. It this one's great. Like I was just about to bring this up. We'd ever gotten to like Muzak or whatever you call Muzak. it. Muzak. Muzak. about Muzak. It was James's voice, one guitar, and the orchestra. And uh, they said, we really love that. This, this, check this out. We were going to release it that way. And I said, well, you know, you guys are great. You, you should do a concert with an orchestra. You'd really love it. The you, genesis you, of S and M. Crazy. What, you mean a whole concert? I said, Yeah. And I said, Oh, well, we'll think about it. And we hung out a little while longer, and we had a good time, and then said goodbye. Wow. Crazy that those uh, 
those seeds were planted just quickly backstage at the And at the then Grammys. the seeds were planted liltingly Plant the seed in the fertile, through the portal. In the fertile soil, yes. Kirk with the Pepe Le Pew hat. Beret on. Eight complete years. And then the phone rang, and it, it was uh, my manager saying, I oh, yeah, I heard from Cliff Bernstein and, and uh, Peter Mensch. Uh, Metallica will do that concert. I said, what concert? Yes, we'll do it. Oh, the one you talked about uh, a little while ago. A little while ago. <laughs> it was another lifetime. Eight ago. years. <laughs> Little clips from S and M. James playing the acoustic. Oh yeah, I forgot he did that. Sounds great. Yeah. And the chimes. The chimes over here. The chimes of time. Nowadays, it's just about doing it. <laughs> You know, and As the chimes of time echo through the halls of eternity, <laughs> you just don't sit anymore and think marriage, success, that stuff. I mean, I just I was really preoccupied with all that stuff ten years ago. Nowadays, to me, it's just about the fact that we can coexist as a band, that we have the freedom to do these types of things and make records with classical orchestras and make records full of cover songs and do all this kind of wacky stuff that we do that is i mean at the time of this interview snm was just a year before yeah right just not having to answer to anybody than a year and a half your instincts in your heart but that's that's metallica they're, they're unique in the world and not making things normal and not making things safe and not making things easily digestible Shit. <laughs> Looking back on it, it was just a lot of a lot of work. And when I listen to the tapes now, I just hear I hear the hours and the time, and just I hear all the the conflicts. I resented Bob Rock. I mean, me and Bob Rock did not speak for like the first year or something after that. <laughs> wow! I mean, it was it was it was ugly, nasty. I mean, I've I've never made a record that was that difficult to make, and it wasn't until. A couple of years later, I mean, when I finished making that record, the Black Album, with I never wanted to see him again. <laughs> and um, then something strange happened about a year or two after that where we became friends, like really friends. And then it was all cool. and Probably because great. it was one of the most Since successful then, rock records of yeah, all time. There's right that. Now, imagine making records. Everyone got real else. rich. It just yeah. came from a place that was obviously very magical. And... Uh, you just can't argue with the songs. That's right. True. And you know what's amazing is that it keeps on going. To this day, the Black Album sells, you know, right around a million copies a year. It's our dark side of the moon. Wow. There probably has been no other metal record that, in combination, sounded as good and had as many classic songs. It's not a metal they record, bro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's more like a rock record. The right songs with the right new producer, with the right new attitude, with the right new recording approach, with the right timing. For us, it was a long, slow build, and we had, we built up a family that cared about us and not, weren't there just for the trend or fad, you know? 
So we had built it up and it felt good to, uh, to get the recognition with the Black Album. To have one record like that in your career is amazing. It's really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and roll credits. And roll credits. All right, cool. Well, that was fun. That was really fun to watch, yeah. It's been a while since I've seen that. I didn't really detect any uh, Jason James stuff that I thought I might. No, even when they, they are, they are never together though. Other than when they jam in the room, uh, in the main tracking room. But there's never like one. those two sitting at the. Co- it's like Kirk right. and Jason, or it would be Lars and Kirk, James and Lars. Yeah. Um, so let's slide, slippity slide over to this bonus material. These aren't very long. Yeah. This is James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich discuss songwriting for the Black Album. Lars and I, uh, you know, we've gone through good and bad times together. We've just, you know, we've grown up together. It's, it's like family. Uh, in the early days, you know, I had gone through some pretty difficult family times and and really uh, started to gravitate towards music, and that became kind of my best friend, and I could always rely on music, and so I decided I I needed to play, and that... Uh, it kind of I like me through to play. a lot of hard times. I like to play. When I hooked up Lars in the early, with Lars in the early days, uh, you know, he'd gone through some uh, family stuff as well. Pretty much everyone in this band has uh, had a, their parents split and deaths and things like that. Uh, Lars and I have gone through a lot together, and uh, this is a lot of respect for each other. I've been with this guy for like over half my life, you know, for like 19 years, and. You know, a lot of times, you know, I know what he's going to say before he says it. We don't uh, don't push it too hard. You know, <laughs> there's been some times where we wanted to step up and say, what the hell are you doing, you know? Uh, but, you know, it's all phases and it's all part of growing up and growing out and expanding. And traveling and, on and, uh, and yeah, die, you die. Down the road. We're like brothers, you know, hate each other, love each other, you know. There's there's an energy that comes from from friction that is that that has a value to it, and you can't exclude that out of any project. I don't think. It's pretty good um, bonus material. Yeah, me it and is. James, uh, as you probably have figured out by now, quite different people from each other, and come from two different things, uh, from two different places, and you know, it you always know, finds a way know. to work out somehow. Sometimes getting to that point can be a bitch. Sometimes we'll get hey, so language. frustrated with each other, Easy. you know, Children trying listening. to write a song. It's like sometimes some great things come out of that, you know, the uh, the grinding of the two personalities. But, you know, as we've grown a little older, it tends to get a, a slightly more civil. I mean, it, 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 it's not It's interesting so that this is all like precursor to rehab. Like right. You know, and then you. Lars screaming "fuck" in James's and face. <laughs> for sure. Nowadays, it's a little more about you know what's better for the song or better for the project. Until or, a few years I mean? from now, um, yeah. So it's a little more. I hate to use this word, but a little more sort of you know, um, <clears throat> adult. But sometimes in the songwriting, <laughs> it gets a little difficult. You know, trying to write something and it's not working, and you kind of get on each other and you know blaming each other. <laughs> But, Does it uh, being stock come to mind? It's hard being to stock. Remember that? He's yeah, yeah. Totally. Step back and and get loose with it all, you know. But uh, you know, we've been doing it so long. It it's fun to try new things with each other, you know. At least we've got 
we know how this works so far and it's, it's good to kind of explore together and know that uh Aww. you've Aww. got you know, 20 years behind you working together we did a bunch of shows in <clears throat> in europe in may of 1990 not for any particular reason <laughs> other than we wanted to and, and we'd had about nine months off since the end of the justice tour and um um um, um. we finished up in glasgow and um, everybody was going to go their separate ways for a couple of weeks. And then um, the idea was to uh, meet up in back in San Francisco a few weeks later and start thinking about the fifth Metallica record. Um, the last thing that a lot of mouth noises. Yeah. James. They're hard to listen what's that to. Thing, what's that thing called people don't do on YouTube? Uh, where they listen a- ASMR? Something AMSR? Like yeah. Or what he considered to be his strongest ideas. Well, people like eat a fucking tour pine cone or something. Yeah. Right, yeah. You know, it's like a very sensitive mic and riff drunk over and over, you know, no, 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 wait like this. <laughs> and you play it over and over and you get the main idea of it. Kirk, Kirk would usually ramble on and we'd, uh, we'd have to help him edit his riffs a little bit. But, uh, Lars and I usually sit down with the riff tapes and, uh, kind of weed them out. You know, I had, uh, built the studio we use that word very loosely, but... Um, the dungeon. The dungeon. A space in my house in the, Berkeley. Through the portal to the dungeon. Um, Lower the drawbridge. Basically adequate for writing in. We've always enjoyed writing in. Don't drain the moat. quirky spaces and so on. And spacey. There's just, just creatures like, in a moat. A bunch of carpet everywhere and drums and guitars and some recording equipment. So if there was an adequate space like that put together in my house in Berkeley. And... um. James uh, basically came over, and and that's sort of like when we started. We get together and just jam on the riffs and see how they feel, um, and we've we've really done done that since day one. Uh, since then, we've tried to to do it a little differently, but uh, or a, at least try different things. But that's that's usually how songs come about. I mean, it, it always just happens. There's not like. I wonder what he was talking about. Says, since then, we try to do different things. Sort of like, what would that mean? Just different ways of writing, I guess, maybe? They didn't do that for Load and Reload. Yeah. We have a few beers and, and we listen to whatever silly ideas people have committed to tape since the last time we did it. <laughs> and um, so, you know, the beginning of that particular process is 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 really just sitting down and listening to ideas. Um, and we sat for a couple of days. And, Man, and the mouth noises. I know, it's all I can hear now. Time we're quite familiar with. And um, Kirk's ideas and... Um, and you know some of Jason's stuff, but I actually think it was Enter Sandman it was the first song that we got together with to write the Black Album uh, after the Justice stuff. Uh, this was at Lars's house in Berkeley, and I was uh, I was living over in uh, Marin, and I would come over pretty much every day. I have the speeding tickets to prove it. Uh. <laughs> it was about a half hour ride each way, and. Uh, that was the uh, the writing of the Black Albums when I had my license suspended a few times. <laughs> I got like five speeding tickets in like two weeks. <laughs> uh, well, maybe don't to get speed, over there James. And write, and, uh, Lars I guess you could say I had the need for speed. <laughs> I recall, and there was about 104 steps to get up there. So uh, I got my exercise doing the writing for the Black Album as well. But... Uh, yeah, uh, Enter Sandman was was Kirk's riff, one of his riff from his riff tape, and instantly felt that that was 
a worthy song, and it was a good choice, I think. <laughs> this Inner Sandman riff. Yeah, their know, biggest like song the ever. Yeah, that we worked on, and, and we basically wrote this song, where if you really listen to the song, like the whole intro, and the bridge and the chorus and stuff like that, they're all really derived from the riff in terms of the chords. So you know, it really is. It's almost like a one riff song. Um, mm, no, and we were so psyched mm. about that that we actually like wrote changes keys for the really chorus. Yes, yeah. Some songs come together like they were meant to be. Some you kind of force and well, it changes keys for the pre-chorus and, and stays on the chorus. And, yeah, you're right. It stays on the sharp. Yeah. And we just we sack them right then. There's no use having an okay song, you know, as as you know a backup. I mean, there's no use in that. We want all the stuff to be great and 110 uh, percent focus and you know, solid. So if there was a riff that didn't really work out, it would be tossed. Um, and we'd know right away as soon as we start jamming on it, you know. I'd love to hear the, uh, the rejected riff tapes. But yeah, absolutely. Sandman definitely came together really quick. It was also kind of weird because it was the first song we wrote, but it was also the one where we, we sort of wrote the music first, but it was the one that stayed on the shelf the longest in terms of the vocals and the vocal melodies. What would happen a lot the way we've always worked was that you know me and James would write a song, but it would just be the music, and then slowly he would start coming up um, with vocal melody ideas and vocal patterns and stuff like that. The lyrics were always like last. I mean, he would write the lyrics five minutes before he sang them, but it was about the melodies. Yeah, and yeah. we saw all that in the actual thing. Right. Interesting, interesting. All right, here's another one. This one's a bit shorter. It's like drum techniques. Basically the approach to the, the, the okay, drum cool. tracks were, you know, up to 30, 40 takes. We saw of, this too, right? Song and, and really looking for those magical oh, verses, no. chorus, whatever, um, and, and cutting them together and making one, you know, magical take. There's a lot of cutting it together. And we did see this. There's some of it, yeah. Cutting in bits. and It was a quite a long process, but... Um, that's sort of. I wonder if there's anything method. new in this. Right. It was the only method available to us at that time. There was really no digital editing per se. So. It became much more about like a vibe, and it became much more about a moment, and it became much more about a performance, and it became a little bit too fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we saw this. All right. Well. Bonus content, my ass. That's not bonus. Here's Kirk talking about wherever I may roam. So the guitar solo to wherever I may roam. This is this the way is bonus. Starts yes. Starts out with that. That's uh, that intro I snaked from um, Hendrix. I was just going to say, total <laughs> Hendrix, man. Total yeah. Hendrix. I've always wanted to tell people that. <laughs> but, uh, I, you I, finally I can, did, Kurt. Because, you know, I didn't want to be known for, like, you know, stealing guitar solos. But all guitar players steal guitar solos or guitar licks or whatever. And uh, I just wanted a really dynamic entrance to that solo. Why are you talking so loud? The buzz stays yeah. in it, you know what I mean? It doesn't fall away. It still keeps growling. Yeah. It's cool. Cool to hear it by itself. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Because the the song has. It's uh, cool seeing Jason get stoked on it too. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know the sitars. I thought it'd be cool if I used a, a, a Phrygian dominant scale, which is very. The Phrygian dominant. Since it's frigid. My note selection. Phrygian. And it worked the, out good. The frigid. It was it, it was uh, it all followed the concept of of getting a bunch of Eastern sounding things together in one song. 
worked out really well. Second guitar solo at the, at the end, the tag. It's totally improvised and spontaneous. I just totally just, it just came out, it just flowed. And we only did like four or five passes. And what you That's hear cool. on the record is basically just me improvising. It's a pretty awesome and, uh, outro solo. Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't get a lot of love, but it's really cool. Days at the office. <laughs> I didn't even uh, know there was a solo in there until Bob suggested that I, I play over that part. And there wasn't one until he said go for it, right? Really? Yeah. No, nobody knew there was one until he said. Yeah, there, there was. Yeah, until he decided that there should be a, a solo over the end. And he said, you know, start it off like you you, you did when uh, in, in the previous solo with all the long notes, and then just kind of build up. Kirk seems way more comfortable in this section of the interview. Yeah. I love the way it starts. Yeah. Bobbing and weaving around the vocals, the guitars kind of hold while he's singing, kind of kicking while he's not. Kind of like a conversation. Yeah, like going up peaking, too. Just, yeah. just, to hear, to hear Jason's that. intensity, man. I love it. This is where it started to fade. So we hear it not fade right here. Yeah. We hear the whole thing. This is rad. Nobody fades anymore. This is like the last Randy stop and fades. Now that yeah. going back and forth, the dynamics are great. Oh, this is the part you, you don't hear on the yeah, record. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. wow. Awesome. That's cool. That one wah thing, that one wah yeah. thing right there where they started playing this. I haven't heard that for a while. That's cool to hear that stuff. Yeah. Cool, man. Very cool. I always think about that stuff whenever a song does fade out. I'm like, what happened after the fade out? They just played forever. And they never stopped. Here's Jason talking about My Friend of Misery. My main contribution to uh, the Black Album was a song called My Friend of Misery. Um, my second full writing credit with Metallica on the second actual album that I played on with Metallica. Uh, two, for two. For two for two. Two for two, Five years. And this is the way it was... I'll play it the way it was originally written oh, on cool. the demo tape from my studio that I gave to Lars and James. Not actually the way that it ended up on the thing, but the way I originally gave it to them. Awesome baseline, dude. So good. If that's the original. That's not. That's not far off. Oh, it's this stuff. Ah. got this B section that yeah. he climbs back up to the A section. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. I could see why they trimmed it though. Yeah, for sure. Hindsight, I'm told, is 2020. Hindsight is 2020. And nothing else matters. Mm, something approximately like that. My Friend of Misery. I was hoping it was going to end up being 
the instrumental song from the yeah, Black Album. Do that. That we were going to follow suit and keep having an instrumental song. We didn't. So that's how it worked out. But that was um, something that I came up with, you know, by myself on my old four-track machine. And I guess when we were just working on tapes, you know, the whole idea was to listen to as much music as possible of different bands and different styles and things and take it in through your funnel, you know, and through your filter. And then whatever happens to come out here, you know, if you listen to more stuff, then it's going to come out more colorful. And that was kind of the idea at that time. It's true. I wasn't mm-hmm. as yeah. uh, practiced of a listener as I am now. I wasn't as well-versed, I guess, in different styles of music and things like that. But I still did rather take in soul music and funk music and all those kind of things, along with Black Sabbath and Hendrix in order to, you know, come up with our stuff. It's always good to feed yourself the things that you grew up on, your original teachers. Be refreshed by it. Yes. So you remember where your core of your style came from. Very much agree with that. Please and then to, like sprinkle it, refresh it with, you know, new, you know, whatever trip hop bands or even hip hop music or whatever happens to be the uh, this generation's music happening right now or something like that. New fresh players, young players. It's always good for your you <laughs> new know, metal. For anybody. New metal. So there you go. Ooh, wow. That's what we try to do still to this day. Awesome. I miss Jason. I love Jason so much. Very cool. All right. This is the last one. This is Hetfield talking about the very personal God That Failed. All right. The God That Failed, which was um, uh, basically about me being forced into a certain religious belief at a young age that uh, uh, my parents were raising me as a Christian science Christian scientist, um, which basically you're not believing in doctors and, uh, I mean, there's some great aspects to the religion, uh, uh, but for a child, it was a little difficult to grasp. Uh, it's, it's one of those religions that, uh, I think you, you can understand a little better when you're older <laughs> and have been to the doctor and understand what it's about and basically mind over matter and, uh, it was difficult. It was very alienating for me as a child being raised this religion and how uh, I couldn't attend certain health classes at school. You know, when you're in elementary school, you want to you wanna be hanging out with the buddies and doing stuff together. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they'd get their health books out and I wasn't supposed to learn about the body because, you know, this is just a shell for your soul and all of this. And you don't need to know about it because you're never going to the doctor and you don't, you know. God will fix whatever so ails you. So insane. I know. So I'd have to get up and leave class and, you know, I was just, you know, whisperings, you know, what's, how come you leave every time? And then I'd have to go into this whole explanation about the religion. And, you know, when you're you know, seven years old, you don't want to sit there and do that to everybody. And you know, you're on the football team and, you know, get exempted from taking, you know, your physical and all of this. And it just, it wasn't... Uh, it didn't make me feel a part of this earth. Yeah, it's really. pretty, it pretty isolating. Yeah, very much so. It alienated me just, uh, you know, as, as silly as it sounds, but it really did. Um, uh, so that, the song, The God That Failed, was kind of revisiting some of that alienation and, uh, and the repercussions of it all. Um, Meaning is... The, is the it? title was a, was a little heavy for some people and, you know... Metallica attacking religion and all this and yeah it's it's just my thoughts on my childhood and they can't deny me that you know I can that's a therapy for myself 
Well, you wrote a damn good song. Well, and two, I mean, what he's talking about, I think, when he says the consequences of those beliefs is his mom actually died mm-hmm. of cancer, but out of, I think because right. of her religious beliefs, she didn't she, she didn't seek any treatment. No, she didn't, which might have at least prolonged <clears throat> her life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe kept her a little bit longer for you know her and Hetfield to uh, be together. But, I just uh, don't. I mean, I don't get it. You I know, everyone either. knows my thoughts on religion in general, but I just feel like even if you did believe that, why would you want to keep your kid from learning about the body? You, you can believe that. God made it and that like whether or not you believe we evolved or you believe that God made you, you mm. still have like skin and organs and right. lungs. You still get sick the same way. You have to learn about like the way your body responds mm-hmm. to the world and pneumonia and, and immune system colds and, and immunity yeah, and totally. viruses. Why would you even if you believe that shit, why would you want to not learn about it? Yeah, be aware of it at least just so you know what maybe if you do get sick, what's happening to you. Right. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff, man. That was really fun to watch. I, I hadn't watched that classic albums in quite a while. Well, we did it together as we do. We do everything Metallica together now. It's true. I don't have much of Metallica identity without you. <laughs> Other than like maybe, listen, you know, I still listen to it all the time. Sure, yeah. Mostly di- deep, taking deep dives. We really did, the initial goal of the podcast was to just take our conversations we were having privately and just mm-hmm. do them on, and record them. on air. And that's what it's been for three years. It's crazy, yeah. Well, we're having a good time over here. If you like the show, go check out the uh, positive review. You can write in show at gmail.com. And uh, we love hearing from you guys. We hope you have a good week out there. We're going to stay camped out, I think, in 2001 land. For a little bit. Getting ready to ramp up into our St. Anger re-listen through with Ooh. commentary, which will be fun. That will be fun. You're busy on the road this next little bit, so we're going to have to figure all that out together. But nothing we haven't done before. That's right. And uh, do you have anything else to add? Anything else to say? I don't think so, man. I actually need to go and get the heck out of here because I got to go to the airport soon. <laughs> well, safe travels to you. We love you guys out there in Metal Podcast land, and we'll see you on the flip flop. Peace. Adios. <laughs> this new world, our advice or what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs> <laughs>